Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Thank you all for coming this morning. You're all looking fine. So um, today, <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> so uh, that worship really mm, awesome. And it gets us into what we're talking about today is God's faithfulness. So this is a series that series, sorry, that was started by Pastor. I'm going to be doing the second part of that series of God's faithfulness. And uh, next week, I believe, uh, is the third one by Virgil? Yes? No? Maybe? Okay. Awesome. All right. So um, today, I wanted to focus on uh, kind of the practical understanding of that. Pastor Willie gave us um, some answers asking, does God care about me and are we on our own? And how God's faithfulness kind of uh, helps us understand that. The quick answer is... Yes, God cares for you and everything about you, and God is with us. Um, a quick definition for faithfulness before we get started. Faithfulness is the concept of unfailing, remaining loyal, unfailingly remaining loyal to someone or something and putting that loyalty into consistent practice regardless of extenuating circumstances. So, really cool definition there. I want to focus on a couple of things that unfailingly loyal. That's important to keep in mind, but also the consistent practice, regardless of extenuating circumstances. That consistency, that constant, never ceasing. But then there's also the practice part. It takes action. And then regardless of extenuating circumstances, no matter what. So God is not just sitting there up on the sidelines, just being faithful, whatever that means. He's actively working in your life. He's actively making choices and making sure that he is faithful to you. There's consistent practice. I want to go into the Bible in Isaiah 55, 10-11. Um, It'll be up on your screens. And we're reading from NASB. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return here without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God says many things. He speaks to us. And when he does, you can know for a fact that it will come to pass. God is faithful even when we forget that he's faithful. And today, we are going to be looking at a uh, fun little story in the Bible. Uh, How many of you guys saw uh, Prince of Egypt in the, what was that, 90s, 2000s? There you go. Got one. Yeah. Or there's a, I believe there's a VeggieTales. We're going to talk about Joseph and him waiting on God's promises. So um, Joseph, in this is uh, chapter 37, verse 2, it mentions that he's 17 years old. And for those of you who don't know the story, Joseph doesn't meet his brothers again until he's 39. So he gets a, a vision at 17. He doesn't meet them until he's 39 years old. That's 22 years. Now, I don't know about you guys. I have a hard time 
if my friend says, oh yeah, I'm going to be there uh, in like 15 minutes. Right about 15 minutes and one second, I'm like, all right, what are you doing? Where are you at? He's coming. He's coming. It's fine. Yeah, I know, but it's 15 minutes and two seconds now. What is, what's going on? Joseph had to wait 22 years. That's incredible to me. And yet he knew God's faithfulness and continued to believe. So we're going to pick up in uh, verses 5 through 11. Again, this is Genesis chapter 37, 5 through 11. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to the bro- his brothers, they hated him all the more. Now let me explain a little bit about that, because that doesn't necessarily make sense. Joseph is the youngest of uh, 11 brothers. He has 10 older brothers. I am the oldest brother, so I never got to deal with this. But my brother, he hated being the youngest brother because, uh, you know, I got all of the stuff. Now, imagine me as the oldest brother, now hearing Joseph being given a dream, or my brother, younger brother, sorry, getting that confused. Ten older brothers, very competitive. Youngest brother is born... His father looks on him better than all of the rest. And then the youngest brother comes up and says, I had a dream. And in this dream, verse 6, he says to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly a sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. So the youngest brother... At this point, uh, his oldest brother is quite old. He's getting ready to marry. Um, you know, there's a vast difference in ages. And uh, your youngest brother, 17 years old, he comes up and he says, by the way, you're going to bow down to me. Isn't it going to be fun? <laughs> of course they got upset. So uh, verse 8, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. So they're a little upset. They go off, do their work. Joseph is is excited. He's like, hey, I had a dream. Verse 9. Then he had another dream. This one's going to go well. I promise you. And he told his brother. You think that he would stop telling his brothers? But, you know, little brother, what are you going to do? Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, sorry, rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So he tells his father now, and his dad's like, what are you talking about? Now he's a little upset. This is his favorite son. So he's like, all right, well, I'll keep this in mind. His brother's very upset now. Now, in this, I want you to keep in mind that God gives us dreams. Now, that wording is a little misleading, especially with what we just read. But what I mean is, when God gives us dreams... He may actually give you a dream. But really what he gives you is goals, something to achieve, a dream that you want. For me, it's like getting a Mustang or something. Um, I have other dreams, more important dreams, but that's one of them. 
often in the Bible, God gives dreams or goals to people. David, for instance, was told he was going to be a king. Uh, there's other examples. Saul, he wasn't given a dream. He was given a vision of Jesus and told to go out and do his will. Now, at this point, Saul was on his way to kill Christians, so I'm sure a little bit he was like, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy that dream, but, you know, Jesus is coming to me and he's blinded me now, so I guess i got to do what he said to do. Um, but there are many other examples here. Gideon, also given a dream to lead an army. Um, you know, all of these people, God gives them a dream, gives them the next step, and says, all right, go. Abraham's a great example, too. He tells them, you will be a father of many nations, but you can't do it here. you got to go travel over there. So Abraham picks up all of his stuff and moves. That's an example of God giving dreams. And this, when we can achieve those dreams, as we see God's faithfulness in moving forward, there's a great sense of accomplishment and pride in what God has called you to do. For me, as a kid, I always used to worry when I'd read stuff like that, that maybe I was going to get sent, uh, I don't know, like across the country or something. Uh, by the way, I grew up in Colorado, and God moved me to Virginia for no reason whatsoever. Probably to meet my future wife. But anyways, <laughs> um, so I always used to worry that as a kid, you know, God was going to, I would read the story of Abraham. He was going to move me, and I was going to do something that I didn't want to do. Maybe, like, get sent to... South America and be building mud huts or something. It's not something that I'm super interested in doing. I'm not the uh, strongest or buffest. But I do know how to use my brain. So I got into computers and that moved me to Virginia. And I've enjoyed every second of it. But also, he called me to be a pastor. When I was about 12 years old, um, I had maybe 11. I don't remember exactly the age that I was, but I do remember the night very, very vividly. I was laying in bed, and I heard almost audibly God call to me and say, you're going to be a pastor. So naturally, I got up, ran, and told my parents. And they were already kind of you know, getting ready for bed, like, what is going on? And when I told my parents, my mom was super excited. And then they were like, okay, now what? This is an 11, 12-year-old kid. How, what do we do? But in that... Um, oops, sorry. There was a lot of uh, a lot of things that led up to me standing here right now, and I'm loving it. Uh, one of the things that happened was um, my parents started teaching. They were doing um, uh, like youth group kind of thing, um, and they went all the way back to like uh, elementary school. So they would teach the Bible, and they would invite us to come. And my parents got my dad had recently gotten saved, and he was really getting deep into the Bible. So he started to introduce us to that. We'd always grown up in the church, but my dad hadn't really, you know, uh, accepted Christ's love for him, and then he did. And that led us all to get really deep in the Bible, which was awesome. And as we started doing that, I got more and more growth in my faith, and I started learning how to teach other people. And I started getting pretty good at teaching kids. So when I was about 19, uh, I just graduated from high school a couple of years ago. I was in college, 
um, I'd been doing some Bible research and some other things, and a pastor that I knew called me up. Um, we had just met just randomly at a Christmas breakfast. It was like a men's breakfast kind of thing. We went, bumped into each other randomly and said, hey, I have an opening at my church. We have nobody to teach the youth. Would you mind coming by? I said, ah, sure, I'll think about it. A month goes by, I'm praying about it. Pretty sure this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm freaking out because this is, I'm scared. I've never done anything like this before. I have a pretty good understanding of the Bible, so I think I can teach, but also no idea what I'm doing. And God's telling me to go do it. I'm like, okay. He gives me a call. He says, so I've been praying about it too. You want to start next month? So I started. And I did that for five years. Those five years were amazing. I not only learned how to better read my Bible, but also teach others how to read their Bibles too. I'd done some cursory, you know, understanding. I'd read concordances and kind of gotten a little bit more understanding than what most people would have in their Bible reading. But I didn't know how to, one, teach that, or two, get even deeper into the Word. And those five years I did that. Well, then I moved to Virginia. That kind of threw my plans off. And in talking to the elders, specifically Sam, thank you, he asked me if, uh, you know, after being here for a couple of years, being a member here, he asked me if I'd be ready to preach. I've been working with the youth for, uh, I guess it's like two and a half years. COVID kind of screwed that up. It would be close to three. <laughs> but in that, now I'm here standing today. And I know that eventually God is going to continue calling me further and further into what he wants me to be. And whether that's coming back here or moving on and doing something else, wherever that needs to be, that's what God has called me into my life, and I've enjoyed every second of it. And my phone locked. I'm going to scroll down in my notes. All right, so when God gives you a dream, it's scary at first. You may not have any of the steps laid out in front of you, just the end goal. And it might seem like a scary end goal or something that you maybe might enjoy. When you get there, it's going to be awesome. I love what I'm doing right now. This is great. And I love preparing messages and reading the Bible for you guys. So, Joseph has given these dreams. And in this, he's told that he is going to be a great leader or figurehead and his brothers are going to bow down to him. At this point, this is all of Israel. Him and his ten brothers. He also has a sister too. Uh, probably a couple of other sisters, but as recorded, there's only the one. Uh, that's, that's it. That's the nation right there. For Abraham, his father of many nations, you know, all of that stuff, it's like 15 people at this point. And we could, if you didn't read the rest of the Bible and understand that Israel is now huge, and or at least a country, not 15 people, you could have looked at Abraham and said, at, by this point, Abraham has long gone. You could say, mm, that dream never came to fruition. It never happened. 
Well, it didn't happen in Abraham's life. But God is still faithful, and he still fulfilled that dream. And here, Joseph is also getting a dream. So, Joseph tells this dream to his brothers. And, uh, again, if you guys didn't watch the VeggieTales or the Prince of Egypt, I'll, I'll spoil a little bit. He gets enslaved, and it's not good. His brothers actually plot to kill him. But his older brother says, hold on, wait, wait, wait. This is going to end up real bad if we actually kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Which I don't know if is that much better, but he decides to do that. So look what Joseph does. Um, he's sold into slavery, and he's taken to Egypt. This is verse 30, or chapter 39 of Genesis, verses 1 through 6. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Israelites who had taken him, Ishmaelites, sorry, who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. So, he is led into slavery, taken all the way down from, it would have been roughly where Israel is right now, and marched all the way down into Egypt. And here, He's sold to a man, captain of the guard, and just told to do whatever. He starts as a very lowly slave. But, verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes became and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted his care to everything he owned. From the time he put in in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So Joseph still has this belief. He has this dream in his mind. He knows that God is going to be faithful to him. And so, instead of complaining, though I'm sure he did, he's still human, he worked hard. He pushed and pushed and pushed. And God blessed that. And everything that he did, Potiphar saw that it was very good. That he, he saw that God was blessing him in that. And here, <coughs> sorry, I just again, want to bring attention to Joseph's attitude. He understood that God was faithful. He held that dream in his mind, and then he just got to work. At this point, he has nothing. He's got his smarts, he's got his muscles, and he's got his relationship with God, and yet that's enough. And at this point, uh, I could kind of go into a sermon about doing your best work, at the workplace, that, or the place that you're at. I'll save that a little bit. Uh, maybe I'll preach that some other time. But here, Joseph is doing well for himself because he's working hard, because he knows that God is faithful. Then, uh, Joseph is set back again. So he begins to uh, do all of this work, and apparently he's pretty handsome. His... Uh, Master's wife takes a liking to him, 
And then when all of the slaves are pushed out of the house, besides Joseph, she comes to him and reveals herself, whatever she needs to do, does a come-hither thing, whatever. Joseph says, absolutely not. One, that's not good to my God. And two, that's not good to my master. So, no. So she grabs his cloak and she pulls him closer. And so instead of falling into that sin, he just runs. Pulls out of his cloak and just runs out of the house. She holds his cloak and then starts screaming, Joseph came in and tried to rape me. Now go get Joseph. Really nasty woman. I always hated that part in The Prince of Egypt. But she does that, and if you guys are not seething with injustice, I don't know what else I can do, but that just kills me. Joseph has done everything. He's done exactly what he needed to do. He's moving forward in God's plan. He's working the best that he can with where God put him. And then he gets set back again. He was sold into slavery, and now he's getting thrown into prison. So uh, this is um, verses 7 through 15, again, of chapter 39. It came about that after these events that his master's wife took desire, uh, looked with desire at Joseph, that she said, lie with me. Uh, And then we're going to skip down. Uh, Here, this is when she's screaming, see, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came to lie with me and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. And she held uh, his cloak and waited for Potiphar to come home. And this is when she's explaining everything. So, Potiphar has him thrown in prison. Now, a fun little thing, the way that it talks about that prison, it's the prison that the Pharaoh uses. So, Potiphar probably knew that Joseph was free and clear, but he couldn't just allow a scandal like that to happen in Egypt, so he throws him in like the nice, posh prison where the Pharaoh throws his prisoners, not like the bad dungeon. More like political prisoners, if that makes a little sense. But Potiphar has also lost his best prisoner, or uh, his best slave, which sucks for Potiphar. He's a little upset. Joseph's a little bit more upset, I would assume, but, you know, he is where he is. And this is verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. So, this has nothing to do with Joseph. Joseph is not set back because of something that he did, but also God's word is not set back because of what Potiphar's wife did. God is not unfaithful to us when something gets in our way. His faithfulness doesn't end because somebody screws up something in our lives. That's not how he works. He knew that was going to happen. I'm sure he hoped that it wouldn't happen, but God knows everything, so he had a plan for it. So, because God gave Joseph a dream, and even though everything was against him, God was still faithful to that dream and still helping him live that out. We're going to skip forward a little bit. This is, uh, you know, Joseph is 
um, again, spoiling the story a little bit, Joseph is given this blessing of God to interpret dreams. And while he's in the jail, he encounters two people that have been thrown in jail by Pharaoh. One of them is a baker, and one of them is the cupbearer. The cupbearer's job was just to test to make sure that the cups that Pharaoh was drinking out of weren't poisoned. Super glamorous job. But apparently he made the Pharaoh upset, so he got thrown in jail. The baker also was thrown in jail. It doesn't really describe what these guys did, but you know maybe he put in hazelnuts when he should have put in almonds. So both of them are thrown in jail, and both of them have dreams. And uh, Joseph interprets these dreams, and both of them end up being correct. And he tells them, when these come to pass, one, remember me, and two, know that this was not me, this was God who interpreted these dreams. So the wine bearer is told, you will be restored to your position. The baker is told he's going to get hanged. Baker gets a little upset about this, but they do actually come to pass. The wine bearer is restored to his position, and he goes before the pharaoh, and he is in his service, and the baker is hanged. The wine bearer, however, forgets. The Bible actually says he forgets. That always made me laugh when I was reading the Bible. Like, oops, I forgot the guy who interpreted my dream, and now I'm working. Again, I'm not in jail anymore. And then just forgets. Two years pass. Joseph's still in jail. He's still doing what he can. He's, he's the head of the jail, and he's just doing what he can where he's at. God hasn't moved him out of jail yet, so he's just waiting at this point. Two years pass. The wine bearer, upon hearing Pharaoh get this dream, nobody can interpret the dream for Pharaoh, so he says, oh, wait a minute. I remember this guy. So he calls for Joseph. Joseph is brought before the Pharaoh, probably cleaned up, shaved to be presentable. And then when he goes before the Pharaoh, he interprets the dream. And it's a dream of seven years of famine after seven years of plenty. And then he gives the Pharaoh a plan. Again, also another uh, sermon that I could teach don't just get the interpretation from God and leave that. Also wait for the plan that he'll give you so that you can go and not just interpret, but also show God's wisdom and love in that as well. But anyways, I'm going to leave that sermon there. I've already had two sermons in this one. Um, so he takes that and he offers, offers Pharaoh a plan. And Pharaoh, in understanding, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. One, he interpreted this dream. And two, he put together a really good plan. Pharaoh says, uh, I'm sorry, Joseph says, that wasn't me, this was God. He's like, all right, well, Potiphar says that you're a good guy. Potiphar actually comes to his defense. Again, lending to that idea. Potiphar knew that he didn't do anything, but, you know, political prisoner had to go do something. He can't blame his wife, because that would be wrong. So, you know, he, he comes to Joseph's aid, says, yeah, this guy, whatever he touches is golden. The prisoner, uh, the, the head of the prison, yeah, this guy's golden boy. Stick him in. So Pharaoh's like, all right, cool, front and center. He is the second in command. So they go through the seven years of plenty. Joseph siphons off some of the extra grain, and then he stores it. 
And this seven years of famine begins. But it's not just famine over Egypt. This is famine over a huge swath of land. At this point, basically the entire known everything is in famine. So uh, those nearby, those living in Canaan, this is, that's kind of uh, where Israel is now at this point, uh, that affects his ten brothers. So this is verse, uh, chapter 42 of Genesis, verses 3 through 6. Then the ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin. This was his actual brother. Let me back up. His ten brothers were actually his half-brothers. Also would lend to the jealousy a little bit. Your half-brother, your littlest half-brother comes up and tells you, you're all going to bow down to me. Be a little upsetting. Uh, His actual brother, Benjamin, Jacob, his father, says, nope. They lied and told him that Joseph had been eaten by wolves. He said, I don't want Benjamin to be eaten by wolves either. You ten brothers, I don't necessarily care if you get eaten by wolves, but, you know, whatever. Go down, buy some grain. Benjamin stays there. Picking up again. For, uh, for he said, I'm afraid that harm may befall him. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming, for the famine was also in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was ruler over the land. He was the one who sold, sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him, and their faces were to the ground. Twenty-two years later. Now the funny thing is, his brothers don't even realize that that's Joseph. It's been 22 years, so he probably looks a little different, probably not quite as pimply as his 17-year-old self. Um, And they don't realize, and he kind of plays a prank on them. It's pretty fun. You guys should read the rest of the story. Uh, and they, you know, end up coming down to live with him after the prank, of course, and they, you know, feel sorry for him. Uh, Joseph is taken, has taken his dream that God gave him at 17 years old, and then again at 39. Even when things looked bleakest, he continued, God continued to be faithful held that dream in his mind. I'm sure there were times when he just couldn't get over how much injustice he had suffered. I'm sure there were times when he forgot. But the next day, he picked right back up again. God gave me this dream. He said this was going to happen. It's going to happen. God is faithful. So he pushed forward. If we focus on the dream that God has given us, and trust in God to be faithful, where will we be? Now, if you have not been given a dream by God, I have a question for you. One, did he already give it to you and you forgot? Or two, are you even listening in the first place? If you're not listening to hear that dream from God, there's nothing for you to focus on. And if you've forgotten what dream he's given you, get on it. Pray. Talk to him. What was that thing that you told me 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 20 years ago? Lord, help me get back to what you want me to do. 
in that, we must get that understanding of God's faithfulness. And hopefully the story of Joseph can help you guys along. 22 years is a long ways to wait. And he still stayed faithful. So in that, I'd like to pray for you guys. Lord, we thank you so much for being faithful to us. We thank you for giving us dreams that uh, we will enjoy. You know our innermost beings. You know our innermost struggles. And yet, you still feel fit to give us joy. Thank you so much for everything that you've given us. And for those of us who haven't heard or have forgotten our dreams, I ask that you give us remembrance or a new dream to step forward in. We ask that we would remember your faithfulness even when times get tough. When things seem the bleakest, you are still there. You are continuously investing in your loyalty and love to us, even when we don't realize it. So we take this time to thank you for that. You are wonderful, Lord. And sometimes we forget. And we apologize for that. And thank you for again continuing to love us even through our forgetfulness. You are faithful, Lord, and we bless you and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So with that, understand that you might be on the cusp of attaining that goal or you might be just starting out, but know that God will continue to be faithful in that. May the Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance on you and give you peace. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net. Or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.